You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, starting this morning, starting reading in verse 10. It says, And now here the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let uh, Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. And here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. Can we say expanding territory? Verse 12, oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And now Judah with the little ones, their wives and the children stood before the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, and the son of Jael, and the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaphah, in the midst of the assembly. And he said to them, Listen, all you of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up from the scent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeru. And you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Verse 22. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, and all who had come against Judah. And they were defeated. I came to tell you this morning, victory is easy in the presence of God. Title of my message is Victory is Easy. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we don't just make room for you, but we give you this room. We just say that there's not room for any other spirit but the Holy Spirit. And so, God, we take authority over the spirit of fear, of doubt, of intimidation, of worry, of anxiety. We say, God, to every other spirit, you are not tolerated and you're not allowed to have voice or influence into the people of God today. And, Lord, we just say today, would you come and show your glory, manifest your power in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on. Well, I love this series. It's easy in his presence. And yet, like you, I have been challenged. I've been convicted. And the reason why is because many of us grew up with the teaching or communication, whether it be from parents or pastors or leaders or just circumstances, that life was hard. The life was difficult, the marriage was hard, that raising a family had to be difficult. And so when this message first came from Pastor Lennon that it's easy in his presence, I think like you and me, it confronted some things that we really believed. And God confronts things with this thought in mind. God wants to offend the heart to reveal the mind. What does that mean? That means God wants to bring to your bout, bring to you the place of offense. You're like, ah, I don't know what I think about that. I'm not sure if I agree with that. So he can actually expose lies and deceptions in your mindset. And today I want to give you this revelation. It's okay that that's where you're currently at, but you can't stay there. I'll say it for the people over here. It's okay that you may feel that way, but you can't stay there. Because everything is easy in his presence. I know you get those Ikea boxes and you're like, man, this is difficult, hard, missing pieces. You never want to do it. You're about ready to lose your salvation. You get the Ikea boxes and you're like, what's going on? Nobody knows how to build these things. These things are clueless. They feel like they're in another language. But when you're in his presence, even Ikea building is easy. <laughs> Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 30. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just prior to that verse, in verse 29, he says this, learn from me. I'm humble and lowly in spirit. I think the reason why many times we think about victory and how it's going to be difficult and hard is because we think about the battles. 
We're like, man, I got to fight really hard in this battle. This thing is coming against me. It's a huge giant. It's a huge Goliath. It's a huge thing. And the reason why we feel that way is because we're not aware of what Christ has already done for us. See, victory is not secured by what you do, but what by Christ has already done. I remember the first time I got into a fight and I had no clue what I was doing. And so I just swung my arms wildly and rapidly and hoping to hear, hit, hit the devil, hoping to hit the, 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 the joker that was in front of me a couple of times and push him back. And I think this is what happens is we feel like it's hard. And so what we do is we just swing wildly as fast and as hard as we can in our worship and our prayer and our fasting and, and hoping we'll get in a couple blows against the devil, push him back for a day or two and hope he doesn't come back to us for three more days. But I got good news today. He defeated him on the cross over 2,000 years ago. And when he was on the cross, his last words were this. It is finished. I don't know what you're going through today, but I got good news. It's been done. It's been paid for. It's been finished. And all you have to do is simply stand in the revelation of what he's done for you. A few months ago, I stepped into one of I would say it's been the greatest battles in my life up to this moment. As I got some difficult, challenging news, come back to the office here, my office up there in the back, and I'm there working, and as i working, I find myself distracted and trying to not think about what was just said and what was going on and trying to get God's word in my heart and God's word in my mind. And I go home that night and I do what you do when you feel a little overwhelmed. You just pray in tongues. So I just like, shurraparapake. And I just begin to start praying in the spirit. Because the Bible says when you pray in your Holy Spirit, you build yourself up in your most holy faith. You become strong on the inside. Doesn't matter what's happened on the outside, but you become strong on the inside. And I go to this place where I'm battling, I'm contending to have breakthrough in this area. And I sort of fall asleep Halfway praying in tongues, halfway, like, God, you need to do a miracle. And I wake up the next morning out of a dead sleep. And as I wake up out of dead sleep, these words just come out of my mouth. Victory is the Lord's. And in that moment, I knew it was done. I didn't have to fight anymore. I didn't have to try to strive anymore. I didn't have to try to add anymore to it. This is what I want to say to you this morning. Jesus not overwhelmed by what you're going through. Jesus is not caught off guard by it. He's not concerned about the diagnosis of cancer, the family problems, the financial stresses. He's not concerned when people try to walk out or talk bad about you. Jesus is not overwhelmed by it, and neither should we. Jesus, in fact, is not concerned and not overwhelmed by even death itself. We see Jesus coming and gets the news that Lazarus is sick. He knows it's going to lead or end into death. And he has the audacity to stay just a few more days. I thought God was an ever-present help in time of trouble. Looks like he just decided to hang out and eat chips and go fishing with the boys for a little bit longer. And yet, he wasn't overwhelmed by it. Why? Because he knew even death had to bow to his name. Even death had to submit to the authority that was on his life. 1 Corinthians 15, 5, 55 and 57 says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is victory? This word victory we find in this passage here is the word that means to have victory or to utterly vanquish. King David in the Old Testament, he begins to pursue his enemies. And he's pursuing his enemies. The Bible says that he catches up to his enemies and he beats them. I love the next couple verses. Then it says that he beats them into the dust of the earth. David was a savage. He was kicking butt and tanking names. Can I say that in church, Pastor Abe? He didn't concern himself with how big or tall or strong or mighty his enemies were. When he caught up with them, he was going to beat them. And he was going to beat them into a pulp. And I think what happens is we get so intimidated and concerned with the things that are big. But when God shows up and gives victory, it's once and for all. Not just for today. And all of a sudden you have to figure it out tomorrow. In the Hebrew, this word is the word yasa. Yasa which means to save, to be saved, to be delivered, 
to be saved in the battle, be victorious, to give victory to. It's interesting that we see the word victory translated most often as the word salvation. Paul the apostle in Ephesians chapter two gives us a revelation of salvation. It's not by your work. It's not by your effort. It's not by your fasting. It's not by your praying. It's not by stringing 12 daily encounter days uh, together, not like 10 last week. It's not by making sure you're perfect and you got all your ducks in a row. The Bible says it's by grace you've been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. And if, salva- if the word fa- uh, victory is translated to the word salvation, we could say it this way. For by grace you've been given victory. I got good news. Victory isn't based upon your effort. Victory isn't based upon you earning it or doing enough good works. I think the reason why we think victory is hard is because you look at your life and where you failed and where you struggled and what places you don't currently have victory in your life. And you think, well, if I just work a little bit more, if I do a little bit more, if I go to church a little bit more, if I pray a little more, I fast a little bit more, if I do a little bit more meditation, then somehow God will say, ha, You did enough. Now I'm going to do something for you. Jesus, while you were still a sinner, while you were still wretched, while you were still messed up, while you were still struggling, while you were still in bondage, he died for you. There's nothing you can do to add to what he's already done for you. You can't perfect the cross. The cross is perfect to the reality that he has done it for you. And so we find King Jehoshaphat coming in this place. And I love his revelation as he's surrounded by three armies. He's like, I don't know what to do. And when you find yourself in that circumstance, I'm powerless, but my eyes are on you. King Jehoshaphat did something that most of the kings preceding him did not do. They found themselves in a place of weakness and vulnerability. Most of the kings up to this moment, they would send out their armies, they would send out their chariots. He said, horses and chariots I do not trust in, but I trust in the name of the Lord. Because he knew that against this enemy, he had no power to secure victory. But he knew that if God, the rightful king, the true king got involved, he knew, understood something about himself. Though I'm anointed the king, I'm not the king. I'm simply a king of kings. And he is the king of kings. When we understand a greater picture, a higher revelation of who the king is, we don't concern ourselves with who we are or where we've been or what we We've done. We simply fix our eyes upon him, for he's the king of all kings. See, weakness is not a sign of faithlessness. I grew up in environments and cultures where faith looked like you having to have it all together. I got it all figured out. I know exactly how God's gonna move, when he's gonna move, and it's gonna look this way, and it's gonna happen on Tuesday. And so if you didn't feel powerful and didn't have the answers, you lacked faith. And the reality is this, weakness is not a sign of faithlessness. It's simply a positioning of yieldedness. When you find yourself weak, vulnerable, feel like you are helpless and don't have anything, can I just tell you it's the proper place to be? Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And verse 10, he says, For when I'm weak, I'm strong. Paul's saying this. This this is the man that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He was the man that fought with the beast of Ephesus. He was the man that cast out demons, that literally prayed and cities transformed. He was the man that raised people from the dead. He was the man that anchorchiefs and cloths were taken from his body and that they were put on other people. People were brought into life and wholeness and victory. And yet he comes to this place as he's gone through these situations. He was beaten. He was beaten uh, uh, three times with a rod. He had 40 
lashes minus one. So that's the beating that they gave five times. He was shipwrecked three times. Night and day, he didn't sleep. He went through all these difficult moments. And he's like, God, will you just take this from me? Like this just seems unbearable. This seems like a lot that I'm going through. And Jesus' answer to him is, my grace is sufficient for you. He wasn't saying to Paul, suck it up, Paul. Be a man. <laughs> what he's saying is this. Hey, Paul, where you feel weak, I'm going to give you a strength you don't know. Maybe there's a level in a place of strength that God wants to release to your life, but you haven't yet received it because you haven't stepped yet into being okay, feeling weak. Can I just be authentic for a moment? It's one of our values that we don't do fake, that we disciple people through real relationship, that they can be vulnerable and transparent. I've had many moments in my life well, I just wanted to give up. God, this seems unbearable. This seems challenging, difficult. Moments where I felt like I had to be strong, where I had to have the answers, where I had to feel like I knew exactly how to lead my family, knew exactly how to raise these kids in the presence. And yet in the moment, I could just be okay. I, 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 I don't know. Let me just be authentic one more time in this space. I know some of you have received prophetic words or words that God has spoken to me for you or for other people in this community. And yet there's been moments where I'm like, God, how can you speak to me? For this person, I have no knowledge of your life. And they're like, oh my goodness, this is so amazing. Like, that's forever. Could it change me? This knows exactly what I'm going through. And I'm like, God, do you know what I'm going through right now? Do you see me here? Can you just give me a word? And maybe what God is doing was getting me to the place where I had to find myself once again weak, and vulnerable before him. Jehoshaphat says, we have no power and we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Your victory is connected to your vision. Let me say it one more time. Your victory is connected to your vision. Many of you in this room, the reason why you're consistently still a victim and not a victor, because your eyes are always on what you've gone through instead of on what Jesus paid for. I'll say that one more time because that was good. Many of you, I'm feeling it this morning. Many of you are in the place where you are consistently a victim and not a victor because your eyes are consistently on what you've gone through. Oh, let me just tell you my story, brother. Hey, sister, let me just tell you what I've gone through. And back in 99 and back in, you know, back in two, Y2K, you know Y2K, it was back really hard. Hey, hey, like, and you start telling your, all your stuff, all your story. Can I just tell you this? None of that matters. Because if what he paid for is for every bit of it, we sang it this morning. Come on, we should get the benefits of everything he paid for. He, he forgives me of my sins. He heals me of my diseases. He delivers me from the pit and he crowns my head with loving kindness. See, God's solution for your problem was always there before you ever found yourself in this current position. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. And yet you're concerned about what you're walking through right now? He had a solution before sin ever entered the world. 
before you ever had a breakdown, before you ever had a moment of need, before you ever got that diagnosis. And what we simply need to do is reconnect our eyes to him and see what he is doing. See, it is finished. It is done. That means Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Do we got any bakers in the room? Do we have any bakers in the room? Any people? We don't got any bakers in the room. Nobody bakes in this room? Bake. Bake. Baking a cake. Baking cookies. Baking pies. That's okay. You can just go buy it from Target or some other place. You know, my baking experience is this. I go to the store. I find a box that has a picture of a cake or something I like. I grab the box, I come home, and I follow the instructions. Simple. Ain't much to it. So what you do is you simply pour out the ingredients, follow the instructions, and you get the cake of what the picture is on the box. You know how your relationship with God looks like? You simply follow the instructions. He gave you everything you have need of. It's done. It's paid for. And when you follow those instructions, you get the results of his victory because he already paid for it. This is the problem. Some of us want to add a little extra zest to it. Uh, you know, I think what needs in this cake, I think we should add a little paprika in here. Like who adds paprika in cake? Like really? Do we got any paprika people in this room? And so what happens is this is what causes us to fail because we didn't simply follow the instructions. Why do you and I still have failure in our lives then if Jesus paid for the victory once and for all? It's because many times we pride ourselves in our work instead of simply worshiping him for what he's done. So like, man, you don't, you don't know. I got nunchuck skills. I got bow hunting skills. I gotta bring all my skills to the table. And what we do in the pursuit of trying to love God and step into a life of victory, we think that we somehow have to bring something to the table that's gonna enhance this gospel and make it a little bit better. James chapter four says this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humility is what always has and what will always access the grace of God in your life. It's the thing that gives you the empowerment to be what you could not be and do what you could not do. So maybe the current place of defeat in your life is simply the consistent places of pride in your heart. Like if he paid for... All of it. The victory is secure. It's done. He said it's finished. Then maybe you're the one sabotaging the work that he's already done. So what is pride? Because people are like, well, I'm not proud. I came to church. I love God. I worship. You saw me at the altar. I was raising my hands. I was jumping when we were jumping. Pride is this. Confidence and trust in self. Paul says, put no confidence in the flesh. Could I say it this way? Put no confidence even in the flesh of others. Many times our confidence is in something or someone else greater than God. Well, pastor, you don't know. Like the doctor said, Well, my mom has been serving Jesus for 40,000 years since Noah was on the earth. She told me. And what we've done is we've elevated humanity. We've elevated flesh. We've elevated the word of someone else. We've elevated the voices of something else to a position that's improper. What we've done is we've assigned more honor on humanity than on the one who has all the glory and power in his hands. Until we get back to the place of humbling ourselves like King Jehoshaphat and recognizing I'm powerless, I have no wisdom, I have no authority, I have no power in this circumstance, but my eyes are on you. We won't see victory in the places that we've currently seen defeat. It goes on and says the battle is not yours, but it's God's. 
So what are you telling me, Pastor Matt? Are you saying that I actually don't need to fight this battle? I'm saying all you need to do is simply show up. You simply need to just show up to the battle. Just show up to the fight. Just show up. I remember when I was in high school some years ago. Some years ago. <laughs> I can't remember because they didn't teach us math in high school at that time. <laughs> just joking. This new kind of math they're teaching, you're like... It's I'm like, I don't, I'm more confused trying to do the new kind of math compared to the old kind of math. So I'm there in high school. And my brother, he's two years younger than me. So a younger brother, but he's always been the bigger brother. So since the age like 10 and 12, so I was 12 years old. He was 10 years old. From that moment on, he was always the bigger brother. My brother uh, was in the military for a season of life worked with special forces, fought for the, for the army for a season, uh, boxed for the army, should say, for the, for the army for a season, did all these crazy things. So we're in high school, some guy wants to fight me, and you know how fights in high school? Like, they sort of look like this. Two guys pushing each other for a little bit, and then a whole bunch of people surrounding, fight, 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 right? You know, like, everybody comes out of the lunchroom, like, everyone comes out of the corridor, and they're, like, standing around. And so I'm there, and, you know, I've never really been in a fight, so, you know, like, what do you do? You pull off your karate moves? I mean, like, yeah, don't do that. So I'm there, and all of a sudden, my brother just comes, and he stands in front of me. Now, my brother, no one wanted to mess with him at our high school. He was the guy that you just didn't mess with. And so I'm there. He comes and stands in front, and he says, if you want to get to him, you have to go through me. The battle is not yours. But it's his. <laughs> this is a picture I get of God. I get the picture of God going and picking battles. All right, let's go over there. Let's pick that battle. And then all of a sudden, you're like there. You're like, wait, 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 hold on. And like you find yourself like in this battle. And then God, God's like, okay, okay, just, just kidding. I'm here. And then like shows up. He wanted to know, would you become weak and vulnerable in that moment or would you try to show up and be strong? Some of you are just trying to show up and be strong. What you need to do is simply show up and surrender and let Jesus, our bigger brother, Jesus, the elder brother, show up, step in front of us, and you will see victory in your life. So what is God's process for victory? It's simple. He said, position yourself and stand still. Many of us have approached this from the wrong position. We approach this conversation or this idea of victory from the position of fighting for victory instead of fighting from victory. The Bible says that we're seated with him in heavenly places. Come on, I'm far above all the things that I'm facing right now. And yet what the enemy wants to do is he wants to bring me down to this position where I see things from earth's view. See, your position will always change your perspective. I'm standing on the stage, and so I see you from a little bit different perspective compared to if I was on the ground. How many have seen some of those huge, large houses here in the DFW area? You drive by, you're like, man, that's a massive house. Get in, get in an airplane, fly 30,000 feet. It won't be as big as it used to be. I think what happens is we're seeing things from this viewpoint. But when you recognize you've been positioned with him far above power and principality, you ruling over every title, authority, and power in this age and the age to come, you're seated with that one, that you no longer see things from an earthy perspective, but now you see things from heaven's perspective. See, Satan's greatest success tactic in our life is to get us to act in our flesh, though, to move from an earthly perspective. He knows that if he can get us to act in our flesh, we will actually defeat ourselves. We'll take those nunchucks that we have no clue, we don't know, and they'll like whack, knock ourselves out. And this is what the enemy is guaranteeing. If he can get you to move in the flesh, you will defeat yourself in the flesh. There was two armies at war some years ago. One of the armies was superior. They had tanks. This army didn't have tanks. And so they go to war, and as they're in this war for three months, they were just losing consistently and so they changed their strategy and the strategy was this they would have a sniper sit up on a hill and they would fire at the tank one single shot hit the top of the tank 
And it would cause the person in the tank to wonder, like, where's that coming from? A few minutes later, they would do the same thing, do this multiple times. Eventually, the person in the tank would open the tank hatch to see what was coming from and be taken out. This is the strategy of the enemy. He wants you to come out in the open, operate in the flesh, instead of remaining under covering, being hidden with God in Christ Jesus. So how do we stay in this posture of humility? Worship is the posture of weakness. Worship is the posture of humility that positions us for his greatness to get involved. And when we become aware of his presence, it causes his power to show up, and it causes his glory to manifest. Many of us, are trying to do things in our own strength. Therefore, we're not seeing the victory of God in our life. Can I just tell you this? If you simply just slow down for a moment, take time and just get in the presence of the Lord. Not needing to have all the answers. Not even needing to feel confident, bold, and strong. And you simply... Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You will see his victory in your life. There's three places that we need to stand if we're going to have victory. The first one is we need to stand in the presence of the Lord. The second one is we need to stand on God's word. And the third thing is we need to stand against our enemy. We need to stand in the presence Many of the moments of victory or defeat in our life come because we have not stood still and saw the salvation of the Lord. Some years ago, we and my wife went to the Griffith Observatory, which is in Los Angeles. So you park at the bottom, you walk up this hill, and as you get to the top of the hill, there's this huge, massive uh, 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 observatory. You can go in, you can see downtown Los Angeles. You can see for miles and miles away on a, on a clear day off to the right-hand side, you can see the Hollywood sign pretty clear. So we're there and we're walking around and I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And you know, there's that building, there's that building. Great, there's a Hollywood sign. And after about 15 minutes, I'm like, hey, this is awesome. You ready to go? And my wife's like, we just got here. I'm like, but I saw it all. She's like trying to be gracious with me. So she goes, well, in about 25 minutes or so, like the sun's going to set. Let's stay here and watch the sunset. I'm like, I've already seen the sunset before. You can tell sort of my approach to life. Always on a hurry, always on the go, always trying to get things done. And yet... God's way of victory was to stand still. You can't really enjoy and see the beauty and the wonder of God until you just stand still and see. Like, wow, that's amazing. Wow, look how God does that. Wow, look how powerful God is in that moment happens is we're in such a fast-paced culture and society. We're moving from one thing to the next, and we're moving right past our moment of victory, which is simply found in standing in the presence. My primary way of connecting with God is meditation. What does that mean? It means to simply stand and look. Or to stand and to speak. It's two forms of meditation. One is simply looking at something deeply and thinking about it deeply. One is looking at it and muttering it or speaking it out loud. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, gives this revelation that when we look at him or we behold him, we become like him. And when you become like him, you know what happens? You will do what he did. Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, at the very beginning, we quoted this passage as the passage in which the foundation of this whole series is developed on. Your yoke is easy and your burden light. Prior to that, he says, come and learn from me. Or let me teach you my ways. I'm humble and I'm lowly. You know, Jesus modeled for us 
humility, a simply standing still and slowing down. I think one of the greatest challenges for you and I is not only are we in such a fast pace, we're in a place that we actually can't take time to set our attention on one thing long enough. What have you set your attention on, you will begin to have your affections go towards. Meaning if I set my attention on the Lord long enough, my affections will grow more and more and more and more for Him. But if I'm such a hurry, I actually don't develop an appetite for the presence and a desire for the presence. And so we think victory comes from us having to do more work. Jesus, just prior to him leaving and getting ready to go away, he says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And he says, I'm going to send you another helper. I'm going to send you one that will abide with you forever. This word helper is the word Perkletos, which means to have one that would stand alone. See, the same way that Jesus was with the disciples in the flesh is the same way the Holy Spirit is with us in person when we surrender our life to Jesus. He will abide with us forever. You don't have to stand by yourself. You're standing with him. And when you understand that I'm standing with him, then this thing that's standing in front of me doesn't become difficult and hard. This thing that seems impossible becomes easy because it's not me fighting this battle. All of a sudden, it's the one that's standing alongside of me, the Holy Spirit that begins to get involved and begins to fight the battles, begins to show up and do powerful things in my life. Says that he's another helper. This word another means one just like me. Here people say all the time, like, if Jesus was here, he is in the person, the Holy Spirit, who will abide with you forever. And when if he lives in you, greater who is in you than he that dwells in the world, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're standing against, you can stand because you have someone standing alongside you that has power to defeat every foe, every enemy, everything that you face. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 6, just a few more minutes. In Ephesians 6, it says this, when you've done all the stand, stand therefore. Can I say, some of you, all you need to do is simply stand in the presence and you see what God show up. You simply need to stand in his presence and you see God move. You need to stand in his presence and he'll do miracles, outpouring. He'll do powerful signs and wonders. And yet we so often are quick to move to the next thing. Why did Jesus manifest his glory in the Old Testament in a fire by night and cloud by day. He says this, don't move until you see the cloud move. Because he wanted them to only make decisions and only move at the rhythm in which God was ready to move. Maybe some of you in this room have moved yourself out of the position of being able to stand against your enemy because you moved outside of what the presence of the Lord was doing in the moment. The greatest thing you and I can do to make sure that we have a life where we stand in the presence is we can consistently make ourselves weak, humble. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will help you in your weakness. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid people figure out that you're not as strong as you think you are? Are you afraid that people will be aware that you actually don't have all the answers? Are you afraid to actually just let your emotion show just a little bit that you're actually not a robot? That you're not a person that's got it all put together. Because the Holy Spirit can't get involved where you try to say you're strong. He can only get involved in the places that you make yourself weak. When you learn how to stand in the presence, it will make you live a life where you will stand on God's word. June 2nd, 2020. I came in here for the very first time in this sanctuary. 
on a Tuesday with staff. We just moved here a couple weeks before that, me and my wife. Coming with just the thought that we're just going to be here for a little bit of time and uh, then move to L.A. and plant a church. <laughs> but when you stand in the presence, the Lord sometimes changes things. And I was there and I had a vision. And the vision I saw me and my wife and our two kids, Joy and Josiah. I was holding Joy and Josiah and my wife was pregnant. And as we were standing on this, this stone pedestal, the water began to rise. And every time the water began to rise, the stone pillar began to rise again. And as the water began to rise, the stone pillar began to rise. Every single time the turbulent waters began to rise, the stone pillar began to rise. I had this awareness that in the middle of everything that goes on around me, my only firm foundation is if I stand upon the word of God. So I received this revelation two years ago. We went through over the process the last couple of years, a couple miscarriages, one of them pretty difficult and hard and challenging. And as we went through that process, I kept on coming back to but what God's word says. Kept on coming back to what God's promise was for my life. And so we stand here today, my wife being nine months pregnant with our third child. Why? Not because I'm special or more significant. Not because I have more faith or more courage or more boldness than the next person. But because I made a determination. Come hell or high water, I'm going to stand on the word of God. Heaven and earth is going to pass away, but I'm going to trust in the word of God. Because it's never failing. It doesn't fall short. Isaiah 55 says this, that you can actually believe the word because it will not return void. So I don't care what a doctor told you. I don't care what cancer speaks to you. I don't care what the world is trying to prognose and say over your life. You can stand on the word of God. It's the infallible, unchanging, undeniable reality. If he said it, he will do it. If he promised it, he will make it come to pass. And this is what we have to get back to. Not be moved left and right by all the things around you. I believe this, that one of the keys for me to have victory in my life is simply believing what God said, no matter what. Who cares what they said? Who cares what your body tries to tell you? A couple weeks ago, Pastor Lennon preached a message from this pulpit. I wasn't planning on saying this, but I feel it in the spirit. On how healing is easy. And then all of a sudden, after that week, we saw people being attacked with sickness. People experiencing pain in their bodies. People going to hospitals and all these things happen. And this is the enemy's strategy. You know what he does? He tries to mock the word of God. He's like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, healing's easy, huh? And you know what he wants to do? He wants to know, will you move away from God's word? Will you put your confidence and your trust in something else? Will you put your confidence and trust in what other people say and what your body says and what emotions say and circumstances say? Or will you come back to the place that the word of God is the absolute truth and you're not going to give yourself to anything else? When you do this, when you stand in the presence and you stand on the word, you can stand against your enemy. I think this is the challenge, is some of us are trying to stand against our enemy without standing in the presence and without standing on the word. You are on sinking sand, and everything will fail in your life. Not one thing God promised will come to pass if you're putting your trust in anything else besides God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 4 says this, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. See, the greatest weapon of warfare against your life and my life is fear and intimidation. Because the enemy knows if you show up, you win. All we do is win, win, win. Come on, all we do is win. I know. They're like, how do you know? Come on, all you do is win. If you show up, you 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 win. Stop 
backing down. Stop retreating. Stop running away. Just stand in the presence. Stand on the word and stand against your enemy and you will see victory in your life. I'm going to have the band come up. Some years ago, we, me and my wife, we went to San Diego Zoo. Anybody ever been to the San Diego Zoo before? It's amazing. We went there with some of our friends, Pastor Craig and Carlette, actually, who moved here recently from San Diego. We're there this before us having kids. And so we're there, and we're getting ready to leave and stuff. And so I'm like, hey, let's go to the, let's go to the lions. And so we go over, and I got one, I think one lion. There was two, I guess. The other one was way in the back. He didn't want anything to do with us. One lion, though. When we came over, he, he immediately sort of got up. And so I came over, and, you know, they got the, the fence, and then they got the plexiglass blocking this, this lion in, can't get in or out. So I walk over, and as I'm walking over, this lion starts doing this weird sound, this, uh, uh, uh. and I'm like, what is that? And so I look at Pastor Craig, and I'm like, what is this? I'm like, is this normal? He's going, I've never heard that. We've been here, you know, hundreds of times. We've never heard this lion ever do this. I'm like, this is strange. And so I, I'm standing on one side and I start walking to the other side and all of a sudden the lion starts following me. I'm like, okay. I see you, you see me. We got it. And then I walk to the other side and all of a sudden the lion followed me back this way. And then I get to this other side, he, you know, he's doing this. And out of nowhere, he just lets out this roar. And I'm telling you, like the intensity and the fierceness of not just the sound, the sheer sound of the roar, but the force of it literally forced me back. And we left, I was like, is that normal? And again, they said, we've never heard this. And the Lord said to me, is the enemy is intimidated by your authority. He, this, this lion in the natural recognized the authority that I was choosing to step in. That year I was praying, God, help me grow in spiritual authority. So this enemy was trying to intimidate. There's two purposes, two main reasons lions roar. To intimidate other lions. Ooh, somebody. And the second reason I want you to get this is they roar because they feel threatened that they're going to lose their territory. Can I just tell you this? The reason why the world is going chaos, the reason why 32 articles have been written about a church this year is because they're threatened. They're afraid that we're taking territory. They're afraid we're going to build justice residences, that a hundred girls are going to be able to come out of deliverance and trafficking and be brought free. They're afraid because we're feeding thousands and multitudes of people are community. They're afraid because we're going to flip seats of immorality and unrighteousness to righteousness. They're intimidated with what God is doing through this house. This is the concern. It says in Isaiah, or sorry, in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking Someone to devour. And this is instruction. It says resist him and stand firm in your faith. I believe the greatest strategy of the enemy and why he's releasing such a roar, why he's so bold, so loud, so vocal, why the voice of fear and doubt are so intimidating sometimes, is because he knows his days are done, and he knows that you're simply advancing territory, that you're moving from one city. We're not satisfied with Fort Worth. We're not satisfied with Waco, and we won't be satisfied with Dallas. We won't be satisfied with Austin, but we're gonna continue to take more territory for the kingdom of God. And so the enemy, what does he do? He releases a roar so you don't engage in the battle. The Bible says in James 4, and with this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself to God and resist the devil and he will flee 
from you. You know the greatest act of spiritual warfare you and I can do? Just humble ourselves to God. King Jehoshaphat in verse 18 says that he bowed before the Lord. And the people of Judah bowed before him. And in verse 22, the Bible says, and the Lord set ambushes against this army. I came to tell you this today, that victory, it's easy in the presence. And when you humble yourself and find a place of weakness in the presence, you know what can happen? Every one of your enemies will be defeated. It goes on this passage and it says as they released the shout and eyes, and in verse 22, they lift up their voice and they worship and the Lord sent ambushes. And after that, for the next three days, come on, for the next three days, they had to go around picking up the spoils. The Bible declares this, that Jesus, as he was hanging on the cross, in his very last breath, in his greatest act of, 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 of confidence and strength and boldness. The Bible says that he humbled himself in obedience, even to the point of death, death on a cross. And as he was about ready to breathe his last breath, and he gave up his spirit, he uttered these words with a bold shout. days in hell I believe he was making sure he captured all the spoil all the sickness that would try to get on you all the disease that would try to show up all the pain and sorrow all the things that would try to plague your life what he was doing is he was collecting all the spoils that he was going to pay for and after three days of collecting it all he rose and the Bible says that he distributed these things to men I came to tell you today, when you humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, He will release victory over you and the spoils of your life will be all the benefits of God in Christ Jesus. All the benefits He paid for, healing, brokenness, whatever it is, He is releasing when you simply humble yourself in the presence. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com. 